Hey everybody, it's Dean with the Two Party Podcast. I just wanted to let you know when we started doing our show, uh, we, we started with a platform called Anchor. Now, Anchor will let you uh, edit and, and upload your, your podcast onto Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money because they distribute uh, and they all offer sponsorship. Uh, so it's a great platform to start with, and it's a great platform to use because it's just an all in one, everything, every tool you need to get started in the industry. Uh, so if you want to check it out, uh, again, it's Anchor. You guys have a great day. Dean with Two Party Podcast out. There we go. Perfect. Um, so this is Dean with the Two Party Podcast. Um, I'm here with Phil and is it Palooka or Palucha? Palucha. Palucha. So I'm here with Phil Palucha. And I'm going to go ahead and introduce him and let him kind of introduce himself, uh, let you guys know what he's about, what we're here to discuss. So go ahead, Phil. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, so yeah, so I'm Phil Palucha. I'm the host and CEO of Billionaires in Boxes Media. Um, Billionaires in Boxes Media is essentially a global influencer entrepreneur broadcasting network, which is a fancy way of saying we give entrepreneurs a voice. Um, I'm also a business growth coach that specializes in professional services, helping, helping professional service business owners to be recognized as an influencer and authority in their space through digital relationship building. Excellent. Excellent. So what are some of the main things you focus on or have been focusing on lately that we would know, maybe we would know about, or maybe the audience has heard about? Sure thing. So um, Billionaires in Boxes itself has kind of grown pretty well as a brand over the past few years. So uh, ranked as one of the top 100 podcast podcasters globally. That's awesome. Uh, I have two radio stations that I host. One is in the UK and one is in Southern Africa. Uh, I'm also supposed to be in South Africa recording our TV series, which got signed up just before COVID. Um, cool. But uh, life had other plans. <laughs> so where, where are you at right now? So I'm in Liverpool in the UK. Okay. How are things there? Now I've heard, um, I've heard, I've heard there's been a lot of anti lockdown protest stuff going on all around that area. Is it, how is it in your area? Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I kind of take a bit of a, a unique approach on this, I guess, uh, as I actually developed COVID in May of this year and, okay. and I wasn't somebody who, who felt really sick and needed to be hospitalized. Um, but I am still suffering with something that they're referring to as long COVID or long haul COVID, which is okay. essentially suffering with chronic fatigue, still have having breathing issues, still having strange pains that don't seem to be related to anything. Right. Um, but the, if I'm honest, it's very similar to the States in as much as it's been politicized so much now that right. people are almost throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, we don't trust our politicians. So we're just going to kind of ignore the advice and, um, Correct. Uh, and it's that way here. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's led us to kind of like a second version of, of lockdown where it's more of a restrictive lockdown. Our prime minister's announced that we're likely to have these measures in place now for the next six months. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it, in fact, it was quite funny. I don't want to go too political with it, but to be honest, I mean, about three weeks ago, he released a statement to say it's on the way down. So we're going to open up schools. We're going to open up offices. We want you to go back to your normal way of life. <laughs> and then about two weeks later, he came back into the Houses of Parliament. And the st I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but his speech pretty much said, why did you listen to me, you stupid people? <laughs> now it's spiking again. Um, so we're going to have to go back into restrictive measures. They're going to be here for about six months now. Um, but it, It's my I, fault, but it's your fault. 
Yeah, it was like, look, I appreciate that I said it, but you still did it. So it's your yeah, fault. Thanks for following the instructions, but you shouldn't have listened. Exactly. That. That's horrible. So, so we're finding ourselves in a bizarre place, but everyone's kind of mocking it a little bit. I mean, some of the rules right. and restrictions are, are ridiculous. Things like, um, you know, social venues are still open, but they have to close at 10 p.m. And people are saying, why? Does COVID not come out until after 10? Correct. Um, I hear a lot of that here because we still have some businesses that are open. And a lot of businesses, even though in our county here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, the county itself has made a mandate for masks. Mm. Um, it's, it's up to the business discretion once you walk in. So oh, really? in other words, you don't have to, you, you, wear, you have to wear your mask once you get out of your car, then you walk up to the door, then you walk in the business and it's at your discretion. And, mm. and then a lot of people are like, certain businesses are, are remaining closed and they're like, well, does the virus know which business it's supposed to be? Yeah, in? Exactly. And you yeah. know what? My favorite one was, um, they said that you couldn't have social gatherings of more than, well, I think this has changed now again, but you couldn't have social gatherings of more than six people, but wow. you could have business meetings. So one of my friends did a post on, on Facebook and he said, as you know, my business barbecue is canceled for this weekend. But the good news is you can bring wine to a business meeting I'm hosting at my office on Tuesday night instead. And it was like, it was, it's, awesome. so, it's so laughable. And it's like, you have to wear a mask when you're going into a restaurant, but you don't when you sit down. So it's like, so COVID can't get you when you're sitting down, but like, right. And, just, and that's, that's one of the ones that got me about restaurants as well is, um, they, they here the way it is is you have to wear your mask into the restaurant then they get you seated and then you can obviously take your mask off to start yeah. your meal and to me it's like you're you're walking if it's supposedly so airborne and crazy like exactly. you're walking through it you're you're no matter what and i don't know it, i'm so with you the, the one that really made me laugh the other day was uh, i was getting a taxi so i'm not i'm not going out very often as you can imagine yeah. but i was getting a taxi somewhere and the taxi company said, do you have a mask? And I said, I do. And they said, we will refuse entry to the cab for anybody not wearing a mask. I got there and the driver wasn't wearing a mask. And I'm like, this is so pointless. Like, yes, yes. So, so I, I'm going to give it to you, but you can't give it to me. Like, is there some right. uh, magic force field because you're facing forward? Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand any of it. You see the people driving their car by themselves with their mask on. Um, yeah, who who are they hoping to catch it off at that point? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. If it's in their AC system or something, who knows? Um, I don't but think anyhow, knows. I think so, so I mean, it's it's pretty strict over there, basically, huh? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, I mean, it's getting worse as well. I mean, my wife is um my wife's South African, and we were supposed to be heading back to South Africa for Christmas. Yeah. Um, a because it's summer over there then, and I don't like the cold, and right. B because we need to renew her passport. Um, and. South Africa just yesterday brought out a list of countries that they are banning people from arriving from and also South African citizens to flying to. And it was practically most of Europe, um, definitely North America. There was no way that we could fly from anywhere and get there. We're just not going to be allowed in. Um, My wife was categorically told that if she flies back on her own to go and do her passport for two weeks and then come back, she will not be allowed to fly back to the UK from South Africa. Wow. Um, So it's just carnage at the minute. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's and it's been crazy here where people just took it out of context, got really crazy about it. Then um, one of my friends the other day, uh, I guess he just ran in a grocery store Mm. And some guy, he left his mask in his car. He had his daughter with him. He he only needed a gallon of milk, some peanut butter or something for the kid. And so he just ran in the store and uh, he made it all the way in, made it all the way to the checkout and he's checking out. And some guy just, uh, he's standing there and some guy's yelling behind him about his mask, mm. not wearing the mask. And he kind of turned around and he kind of like, listen, guy, back up. I'm almost done. 
and the guy made a big scene and everybody in the store started picking up on it. And some lady was kind of yelling at him. Uh, you know, you need to calm down, you leave him alone. He's got his kid with him. And at, mm. at, the, at the final, what, what it ended up being is the guy literally, uh, the last statement the guy made to him was, um, I have my gun in my car. Oh, Why don't you step outside? Days. And he said it right in front of his daughter. That's and, weird. and he literally, you know, and he's a, my friend, he's a pretty big guy. He fights, he boxes, he's a, he's a veteran and stuff. And he kind of just turned around to the guy and he said, so you're going to shoot me over not wearing a mask. And the guy kind of mm -hmm. like calmed down and he kind of cowered away. But it was one of those the thing things. The thing is, there, there are certain people who are exempt from wearing masks as well because they have other medical conditions. So I, I appreciate that wasn't the situation for your friend. But no. can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been if somebody did have, let's say, a respiratory disorder and yeah. they are exempt from wearing a mask? They're in a, a supermarket grocery store with their child and some lunatic starts shouting at them about wearing a mask. Is it any of your business? Do I have to explain to you that I'm medically exempt? Like, what does this exactly. got to do with you? And, if and you're wearing a mask it, and staying two meters away, what are you worried about? Right. And he, that's what he took it as is basically it was just a guy bullying, you know, yeah, just, a, just a guy who's pro mask and, and he's, he's kind of a veteran. And even though he, he will wear a mask and follow the mandate, he's kind of against the whole shutdown mm -hmm. and, and the mask thing. But, but at the same time, he respects other people that want to. And he sure. was just like, why would you, first off, why would you do that to someone with their kid? Second off, why would yep. you, you know, take it to a level where, you know, you're asking someone to put a mask on, then you're bullying them about putting the mask on. Then the next step up, you're, you're threatening their life with not yeah, wearing a mask. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I guess it was that's really one thing we never, we never really have to panic about all that much. I mean, we, we, um, we don't have as many firearms at yeah, all. That's what period. I've heard. Um, in fact, it's, it's very, very uncommon here. And yeah. I think that's, I don't know if it's a good thing. I mean, I, I, I it probably is a good thing. I, guess, I was going to say it's probably a good thing because we have a, a lot, lot of, of gun violence here. Well, there's a lot of idiots everywhere, unfortunately. Okay. So, so I mean, we, you know, we London, take London, for example, London is always in the top 10 figures for stab crimes. And I think that's entirely because we don't have firearms. We don't have guns. <laughs> I, I think if we had guns, it would probably be following a similar trend to, right. trend to the United States or certain inner cities in the States. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a, I'm not saying they don't happen. I guess the other thing here is that because it's obviously part of your right over there, you, you know, you have the right to bear arms and, and that's, that's completely not the case here. Like you can go to prison just for owning an unlicensed firearm. Here. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not talking about like 30 days, 90 days in jail. I'm talking prison if sentence. you have a firearm that you do not have a fully fledged government license for bought via the official trade trends, you, you, you are probably going to do five, six years in prison without hesitation. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, and so mainly the people that would own guns over there would be officials, government officials, basically. So even or, the, or maybe a private maybe, citizen for maybe hunting or something. Yeah. So for hunting, I'd say definitely farmers, I'd say definitely do. Um, I'd say that we, not even most of our law enforcement carry firearms. There are, there are special divisions that are okay. armed response units and they would be allowed to carry firearms. Wow. Um, but the vast majority of our, 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 our enforcement officers wouldn't would never carry a firearm that's funny because because just uh i think not last year i think it was a lot the year before here in oklahoma they passed what's called open carry law and that means right. and, and basically constitutional carry also so what that yes. means is that every citizen who has the right to own a gun that's not a felon can carry a gun openly so wow. it's literally like the wild wild west sometimes mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've gone to the grocery store and there's five six guys with with a gun right there on their hip 
just normal people walking through the store like nothing. And uh, I've met far total, too total many opposite idiots. than there. Yeah, right? I think I've met far too many idiots to be comfortable just giving people yes. out uh, yes. firearms. And um, that's I mean, that's how I see it too. And and you know, I, I love guns. I used to go shoot with my father a lot. I used to go hunt. I mean, I I I don't carry I don't carry guns on me. I, I I'm yep. one of those people. I believe that when you start to carry a weapon, you have some anticipation of using it or, or it also escalates mind, it, doesn't you it? may use it. And, yeah. and while you do need it and you want to have it when you need it, uh, mm. I feel like the more you carry one and you know, it's available, it potentially sets you up to, to immediately go for that all the time, which could yeah. potentially put you in a, a legal, you know, legal problem, whether it's self-defense or whatever. So I'm one of those, I boxed, I fought for many years. I kind of just, take it on my own and, and pray to God that I'm the stronger person. If I have to get in a fight with somebody. Mm. I, do you know, I, for me, I think it's the escalation point. It's like, if you carry right. a knife, you're like 10 times more likely to be stabbed. Correct. And that's because the person is not going to come at you when you have a knife and they don't, they're going to come at you with a knife because they know that you have a knife. Correct. So if you're carrying a firearm, especially openly carrying a firearm, they are not going to escalate the situation unless they are also now armed. So now an escalation that could have been a, a fist fight in the car park has yeah. now turned into an armed standoff between two people. And that's yeah. and, and taking it to a whole level it didn't it, need to be. You also look at it as if somebody's open carrying, you already know what they have. You know, yes. so the, bad, the bad guy already knows that, that, that you're going to take it to the level of a gun. So he knows mm -hmm. to bring his gun. Um, exactly and so that. it just becomes one of those, like, the, I believe in the element of surprise. So if I'm going to uh, go to the store or let's say go to a concert or a big gathering where you're still allowed to have something, um, you know, I would obviously be smart about it, but I, I don't, I don't carry a weapon in my car. I don't carry, you know, no. it's just, uh, a lot of people do, uh, I used to when I was younger, but I don't have a really, to me, I don't have a need to, unless I'm able yeah. to travel with my family. It doesn't make any sense. No, um, completely. Understand I, I'm that. one of those people. I'm not, I'm not out there looking for trouble. And therefore, you know, if trouble finds me, I'm pretty confident in my skills, just training over my course of, of many years. And, and sure. you know, maybe there's someone that can, that'll take me, but at the same time, you know, I'm kind of putting my faith on, uh, I kind of know how to disarm somebody. I, I know how to fight. Um, and that's just where I leave it. I, I don't feel I need to bring a weapon well, out in the streets and just walk around with it constantly. Take that story of your buddy in the, in the supermarket, right? In the grocery mm -hmm. store. If he, that guy responded to him with like, I've got my firearm in my car. Do you want to step outside kind of thing? Right. Well, if your buddy had responded, yeah, he, he instead said, are you really going to shoot me over a mask? But if his response would have been, well, I'm also carrying buddy. So let's go. Well, that situation has now escalated to a whole new level. Correct. And that, and here's the funny part is Bill, his name's Bill. He was carrying, he always right. carries, he's a veteran. He had it right there in his waistband. Mm. And he said, the guy said it. And he said, because in this state, if you, if you were to show it, basically it's considered brandishing a firearm and it's, it's against the law. So, or okay, it would be threatening. Sense. It would be using it in a threatening manner. Um, mm -hmm. So he was like, I wasn't going to go to jail for this guy, but no. he goes, he goes, I really wanted to turn around and say, can you make it to your car faster than I can get this gun out of my waistband? Yeah. I'm sorry and and instead, that. you know, he was, he's a veteran, very cool, calm guy. He's, he's been around firearms, trained in firearms. He knows what he's doing. And he just, you know, he left it at like, you're really gonna, you're gonna go there. You're gonna threaten someone's life over a mask. Um, but, but little did the guy know, here he is yelling in some veteran's face, uh, yeah. a guy who's already fought in the war or in, in several wars in Iraq and stuff. And, and here's, a, he's, he's yelling in this guy's face about a face mask and he does, <laughs> has no clue the guy's already armed. He's got his, his concealed weapons license and he's holding his firearm in his, in his waistband. Mm -hmm. So pretty ugly, but you know, I didn't, I didn't wanna just talk about guns and politics and COVID though. 
Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your business entrepreneurship and stuff. Tell, get, that's where, you know, I've owned a lot of businesses. I've built a lot of businesses up uh, from the ground up, sold them. Um, yep. I've lost a few. Uh, I've been through a lot of the business ups and downs in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about some business entrepreneurship. So uh, I guess the important thing to, to note here is that I never intended to do what I'm doing today. It, it kind of happened organically. Um, so I'd been involved in the corporate world and, you know, I, I was trying to raise a young family and I was sick of, I was sick of that jet set lifestyle of flying around. It sounds nice, but like, it's not mm -hmm. you know, flying from one place and it's kind of airport, taxi, meeting room, hotel room, back to the airport again. And that gets like people like these what? days, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like, what's Paris like? And it's like, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I didn't get to see any of Paris. Yeah. I saw a meeting room I could have been anywhere. Um, and I decided that I wanted to make that leap and, and go out on my own. And I was fortunate that the, the, the person I was working with at the time was the second largest real estate company in Africa. And they remained a client of mine. I actually won a handful of clients almost off the bat because competitors of mine who'd previously been on the other side of me wanted to now get a slice of the pie. Right. Um, but the problem that I had was I was really struggling to scale my business because having grown up in the corporate world, I'd always had a marketing team there and a sales team there to do this stuff for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever even mind admitting that I had zero idea how to win clients right. because I didn't understand social media marketing. I didn't have the budget to compete with the paid advertising and paid sponsorships that my, my major competitors were doing. Um, I hated cold calling because in my, in my position at board level, I probably got 10 to 15 cold calls a day from people who were suppliers who were now competitors and I know, knew how much I disliked that. I also yeah. knew how often me and people in my position would sit and talk to each other about how much we dislike that. So I didn't want to yeah. be just go and become one of those people. Um, so I decided to try and do something a little bit unique, which was kind of led us to where we are because it worked beautifully well, which was um, whilst in corporate, I'd been making money sort of through my side hustle, which was uh, monetized podcasting, particularly sports podcasting at the time. Very cool. Um, and I'd grown and sold two sports podcasting networks prior to this. In fact, part of the money to set up on my own came from the sale of one of those podcast networks. Very nice. And one of the things that I always realized about it was that you could build incredible relationships with people digitally and you know, I had partners and sponsors and people that I had great relationships with that I'd never met face to face. They were in right. the four corners of the world and, and I didn't have to see them face to face. So my attitude became rather than trying to just get around and do meetings and get through the gatekeepers and arrange a call and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. My attitude became, well, I wonder if I can use podcasting to build business relationships just as well as I could for sport. So I made a list of the top 100 companies that I wanted to work with. And instead of trying to market to them, I just contacted their CEO and founder and invited every single one of them onto a podcast. Right. Uh, not to sell anything to them, just with the sole intention of those who resonate with me and I resonate with them, there will be an opportunity. Relationship. 100%. There, there will be an go. opportunity to work with them. That the people sense. that I don't resonate with, I'm going to do myself a massive favor because we've all worked <laughs> with clients we wish we hadn't bothered. Yes. And this was a great way of vetting those people out, you know, and I, and I never even had anything against them. It was just kind of a, if we've had a great conversation for an hour, but I just didn't feel that spark. Right. It's like when you go on a date, like you don't go on a second and third date with somebody was that wasn't a spark on the first one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like, she's a very nice girl. Like, I'm sure she'll be very happy with somebody, but it's not going to be with not me. me. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 that, and, and, you know, and that was okay to take that attitude. Um, and I was, 
it was very successful. So I'd gone in the space of a quarter, I'd gone from being sitting in my kitchen counter uh, on my kitchen counter with my head in my hands going, where am I going to win business from Mm -hmm. to needing to recruit 25 people full time globally to help me deliver the work because I now had more work than I knew what to do with. Um, I then scaled two other businesses using the same formula before about five or six years ago, people started to come to me and say, can you teach us that bit? (laughs) Can you teach us how you did that? Um, Because once you'd won enough clients, I started using it for everything else. So I was, there wouldn't be a major event in my industry that I wasn't invited to be a keynote speaker on because of my podcast. Um, You know, I was being flown all over the world. I remember I I use this as an example quite a lot, but it was was quite profound. I got paid by the British government to fly over to Shanghai to speak as a keynote speaker. I was sandwiched in between Sony and Microsoft. Um, I had real imposter syndrome, like, what am I doing here? Um, but I won $150,000 worth of business in that one room just after that one talk. And I got paid to speak. I got yeah. paid by the government to go. And, you know, I always said to people, like, why would I ever go back to cold calling and email marketing? Like, right. this is so much more effective. So we've now done it for our clients in 50 different sectors over 50 different locations. Uh, I particularly, I mean, we've done it with lots of different businesses, but I particularly like to specialize in working with uh, professional service-based companies. Um, As a surveyor by trade, you know, I know that you're selling an intangible product. You're selling your knowledge. You're selling what's going on in your head. Um, It's like being an accountant. It's like, how'd you pick an accountant? There's loads of accountants. And it's like, well, you pick an accountant based on who you resonate with, who you Mm -hmm. believe is going to do a good job for you and your business. And I I always use the phrase, like, I hate the phrase service provider. I I really detest it. Like your aim is not to become a service provider. Your aim is to become an outsourced strategic partner. You want to feel like one of the team because then they don't replace you based on cost or when another agency offers them a special introductory offer, you get dropped and they go to them. That right. doesn't happen. You're, you're an asset to them at that point. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And my job has really been kind of helping businesses to overcome that. But one of the byproducts of this was, you know, becoming an influencer and authority in, in my sector and in my space. And I've been teaching other people how to do the same thing. So the first hurdle we like to overcome is, you know, how many times have you heard people say, I'd love to write a book, but I just don't have the time because I'm so busy focusing on my business. I say it all the time. Okay. Well, this is (laughs) a great example. example. I say it all the time. So a large part of your business as well will be winning and retaining clients. Whereas if you had an abundance of these clients that you were working with, they were paying you what you wanted to be, to be earning. And you had much more free time because you've been given back that time that you spend vetting clients and doing Mm -hmm. strategy calls and all this kind of beautiful stuff. You can now put that time and effort into writing your book or into, you know, preparing a keynote speech or doing a TEDx talk or whatever it's going to be that you want to do um, that takes you to the next level. But the thing that stops people doing that is that whole roller coaster business of I've still got to pay my bills next month. So I have to focus on making sure that my business is doing what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, so the first bit is about digital relationship building and, and partnering in collaboration to make sure that you have that network around you to, to everyone uses the phrase financial freedom, but I guess in this sense, it would work, you it know, you're, work, you're, yeah. it's giving you that, that, that comfort blanket of knowing, okay, I only need to make $10,000 a month, but we're now doing 15 to $20,000 every single month. So I'm putting money away, which now means that I get to choose what I do with the rest of my time. Correct. Um, some people just use that to, buying your own time back in a sense. 
Absolutely. And some people just do that to spend with their families. And I, I will never knock that. You know, I will, I will always admire mm -hmm. people that say, actually, you know, I just need to make $8,000 a month and then I'm, I'm set. You know, if you right. get me to 10, 12, like I'll just chill with my family and everything's cool. Yep. I have nothing against that. I love that. Yeah. But there are other people who say, now what do I do with this newfound time? And it's right. like, well, now you become an influencer. Now you use that yeah. time to become a voice in your industry. And that's really what Billionaires in Boxes does is it gives people the tools and the training that they need to be able to have the strategy to, to win that business and gain that freedom. But then it's the, also the strategy that comes next with the, how do you become an influencer and authority? And then the third stage is what do you do with that status? Right. Um, it's like, it's great that people know you, but how many times have we heard of people who speak at all these events, but they never get paid anything. Like they never win any clients. Yeah, or, or you it. just, you know, they become, a, they may become a, a somewhat household name or in the business world, but, but that's, you don't ever hear anything more. It's just, that's it. No. This person speaks, this person's name is known, but they, what are they contributing back to anything or even building themselves higher? A hundred percent. And you know, I'm, I love the fact you've said that because for me, like, I, I said something a few years ago and uh, somebody stole it and said, right, we're going to talk about that forever now. Um, and I said, the day I stop learning is the day I stop earning. Right. Um, and, yeah. and I truly and I'm one of those. I, I really push myself and, and I do hit, I hit these plateaus. So I come up and I do really good. I build something up and then I, I, I call it my seven year itch type thing. I yep. always about every five to seven years, I get bored with stuff. Yep. Um, I've been doing construction 27 years. I'm at that point now with, uh, we have a construction business here in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I'm a general contractor. I am so yep. bored. I'm so tired of construction, swinging mm -hmm. hammers, uh, even just going when it's a job I'm not even doing. And I'm just babysitting my subcontractors. I get yep. so tired of it. And, and I've reached that point. And that's one of the, one of the reasons um, I kind of stepped into this is, is I was like, yes. you know, I, I, I love my wife's like, you know, she tells me all the time, you love to talk. I was like, well, why don't I use the talent that I love to talk? I love to communicate. And I, I love building relationships with people. I like, even though I guess you could say I'm introvert, extrovert, because there's times I don't want to even deal with people. But yep. at the end of the day, I'm the first person that will jump out my front door and talk to a stranger. Yeah. Um, and my wife's like, stop, you don't need to, you know, and she's like, just stop. And I'm like, it's just who I am. I'm wired to, to inter, inter, interact with people. I love doing it. But it energizes stuff. you as well. Yeah. Like, and, I'm, and I'm I love exactly utilizing that. And I have throughout my life, um, since I, my first business I owned, I, I've, I've always utilized, um, I've never set a, uh, I guess what I could say is I've never set a field goal, like a, a goal post. Yeah. I've always just said there is no goal post. You take this as far as you can take it. Absolutely. Um, and when it becomes a point where I reach the plateau, where I'm done with it, it, then I have to take my vision and go to a different direction or a different career field. Yeah, I love that you've said that. So I, I describe that as trying on feelings. Um, and I will do something until it doesn't feel right anymore. Right. And then I won't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so there, there will be a day that I will, you know, people think it's really funny because I can be all in something one day and then the next day it's like, it's done. Like I'm finished. That's, with that. that's exactly how I feel. And it's sometimes. just because it doesn't feel right. It's like, yeah. okay, I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And then people start, usually at that point, you find that people start giving you logical reasons as to why you should. And it's like, logic Correct. isn't going to help in this situation because I'm following my heart, not my head. I appreciate all the reasons why I could continue this business. Um, like my ad agency, for example, it was really successful. We were winning loads of awards. Um, I just got so fed up of it. I got fed up of exhibitions. I got fed mm -hmm. up of, of, actually I got fed up with some of the people I was working with. I was completely honest. And I, I just realized that yeah. one day I was like this, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it wasn't making me happy and it was making me money, but it was like, there's other ways of making money. I don't have right. to make money in a way that makes me unhappy. That doesn't make any sense. 
So it was gone, finished, finito, yeah. like done. Like, and I, I found partners to take it over. I ended up selling that business and, and I, I did a handover process. But, you know, there wasn't a moment. I, people kept saying to me, like, are you not, have you not had that moment yet where it's like, you know, I, I want to get back into this. Maybe there's a bite. And I'm like, no, because once yeah. I've made that decision, it's done. It's, it's And that's and that's kind of where I'm at. Now, I, the one, one industry I've stayed with is construction because yep. I know I'm good at it. And it's something I can start from the ground up. I, I could build a company every week if I need to in construction because I've just done it so much. Yep. Whether it be in the field work or whether it actually just be building the company itself. Yep. And I've done it. I've just built so many companies. I kind of know the framework of how to get it off the ground, get it going. But I, 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 that's where I'm at right now. But construction has been the one that go to where every time, every couple of years, I'll get into something. I, I, I went and got my computer engineer's degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a computer repair business for a while. I, I got sick of computers. I, was, yep. I didn't want to see another keyboard. I didn't want to uh, remove another virus. I didn't want to build another system for somebody. Um, I, got, I got so sick of it. And then I went back into construction again. I got out of that and, and went into, um, went into diff- a couple different fields um, just online digital stuff. And, and I got sick of that. And then I jumped back mm-hmm. into construction again. Um, and, and while our business here is, is successful and I, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're able to reach the clients we are. I personally, for me, it's like you said, I'm just not happy doing it anymore. No, you're not feeling the, the, it anymore. Waking up, you know, 5am, I work out for two hours. I get, go to seven o'clock to the job. I get home by three or seven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on the schedule. And it's like, I don't want to live like this forever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 44. I'm not getting any younger. Um, you know, so it's one of those, like, I really feel like if I can push myself, um, it, like I always do and just keep continuing to build higher on what I want, you know, and to me, it's like, you yeah. said, I'm never going to stop learning. And nope. so, you know, it's picking up on podcasts and different stuff I'm doing now, uh, has really been more of a growing opportunity for me and also oh, a learning opportunity for me. And so I enjoy I the- it. I enjoy the learning. A few years ago, I was given the nickname the Napoleon Hill of podcasting, and I, I actually really like that nickname, so I so I took it. But it, it was it was I was essentially just doing podcasting to learn and grow from really successful people. And um, someone said something. This is probably about five or six years ago, and it, it stuck with me ever since. And they just said. You know, so your version of construction and growing construction companies, my version of that is headhunting firms. So I'm a really talented headhunter. It mm-hmm. bores the life out of me. I can probably do it for like six, seven months. And now I'm like, right. I, I'm so done with burnout on it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like, it's not, it's not, it doesn't get me excited like it used to. Um, whereas I had a lot of, um, when I stopped recruiting, so I, I stopped for a while. We actually do have a search and talent business now, but again, it's a team that I manage rather. I don't actually get involved all right. that much with the, with the day to day. And when I left uh, recruitment altogether, I had a lot of my competitors and people globally who came to me and said, right now you're out of the sector. Can we pay you to coach us to so that we can do what you did? And actually I found that I enjoyed that far more than, than actually doing the work. Right. I like the, 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 the tools still work, the skills and resources still work. I just didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So you know, that could even be the case for you. It could be, yeah. you know, you just said you have that ability to, to grow a construction business from the ground up and you could do that every week if you needed to. Well, maybe you should, maybe people yeah. should pay you to say, dude, how do I do this? Like, how do I grow my, my construction business? Can you coach me into be able to do that? Cause then you're getting the thrill and being able to use the skill of doing it, but you don't actually have to do the right. work. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've been kind of, I've been kind of molding that idea on the side um, as kind of teaching that way. I used to teach, I used to teach English. I used to teach a lot of things. 
Awesome. Uh, I, I've done a lot of things in my life. I, I, my resume is kind of, you know, I, I kind of put my resume online sometimes and, and I find that it's, it's almost, you know, they're like, oh, pick your three best or three keynote jobs. And I'm like, I don't know which one to pick because I've done so much yeah. stuff. And they all, um, they all overlap as well. Like people don't often see that, but it's like, I would say that only within the last two or three years has my resume actually made any sense. Correct. Like it, it would have looked like there was four or five different offshoots doing completely different things. And actually only recently have all of those things come together that even I've been able to go, ah, that's how they all fit yeah. together. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, my experience in, in, in construction, I mean, I've been a grill cook all the way to fire ranger, fire and safety. You know, I mean, I've done like such well-rounded situations. And then when I, when I got my degree in computer engineering, that's where I started doing all this computer stuff then. And, and I did it for about 2000, it was about 2009 through about mm -hmm. 2013-ish. And, and that's all I, that's, I lived and breathed it. I, I learned every, yeah. every component, every circuit in a computer, everything I could figure out that worked and made the internet work. And, mm -hmm. and, and it, it got to the point where it was like, okay, I think I know, even though I know I don't know it all, I know enough where this is becoming boring. And, mm -hmm. and then that was also a time I was, I was smart enough to know when tablets got real big and when, when basically disposable electronics came out, yeah, is yeah. How, I, how I look at it. I saw the market changing and I said, it's time for me to sell and get out. And I had mm. a partner at the time that was in with me. And I said, look, you want to buy me out? Cause I'm selling, I'm closing down. Yeah. He, did, he bought me out and I was able to get out of it. And I was like, yes. And right about that time, everybody stopped buying desktops and stopped buying PCs. And, and I was like, yes, that was perfect. That was good timing. Yeah. I was like, man, I you, foresaw that one. So do you know what? I think the weird, weirdest one for me, I guess, was the fact that I was putting these um, strategies into place and they're still the strategies that I teach this day. I mean, obviously they evolve as I, as I grow and learn, they grow and learn. Um, but I almost started to feel like a bit of a, I don't know what you call it, like a jack of all trades, I guess. Correct. Because yeah. where, where I got to was, if I, maybe not even a jack of all trades, because I'll give you an example, okay? So I ended up doing this partnership with this, with several huge companies in the virtual reality space. And I was speaking on their behalf at these events and I use podcasting to kind of reach out to that VR market. And now suddenly I'm like being flown all over the world again. And I didn't want to be doing that, but I mean, flown all over the world again to go and talk to major sports clubs about how they can sell virtual reality tickets to events and, and concerts. And we recorded the first virtual reality concert and all this kind of stuff. And then 360 virtual reality wraps yeah. within football and soccer stadiums and all this kind of stuff. And, I remember like being sat on, uh, I won't say who, cause I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I was sat on a, like in a virtual green room, if you will, right. about to speak on a major U S news channel. And they introduced me as an international virtual reality expert. And I remember hearing the words going, how the hell did I become an international virtual yeah, reality? Like it just kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> like it doesn't even make any sense. Like I would, there's lots of things that I know more about than VR. Like how right. did I, but then at the same time, I'm being introduced at events as like a headhunting and talent expert and a podcasting expert. And I'm like, I'm so sick of the phrase expert. Like, what does that even mean? Cause like the industry moves so quickly that yeah. even the experts aren't experts tomorrow. Unless tomorrow, they right. It all this change. Stuff. Yeah. So I remember kind of getting to the point where it was like, okay, I've got the formula now where I know how you can win business. I know how you can scale a business. I know how you can be recognized as an influencer and authority in a sector. Now, which sector do I want to pick? Because rather than having this across five or six, you know, cause I, I go on shows and they'd be like, so you do this and you do this and you do this, which one is it that you do most? And I'm like, 
I don't know, like all of them, apparently. Right. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I remember kind of feeling to myself that actually I get more of a kick out of helping other people to achieve that status than I, than I did myself anymore. Like it was great right. initially. Like, don't get me wrong. Like walking on stage when there's like 5,000 people in an audience and they've all paid a few thousand dollars to be there. You're getting a slice of the pie. You know, the X amount of them are going to turn into customers. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a great feeling that comes with that. And then there's also the feeling of I'm 9,000 kilometers away from home and my wife and small baby are at home. And I don't want to be here talking about this shit to you people. Like I want to be at home. Um, (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Like I don't want to be here. So, and then I started thinking about, I would prefer this so much more if I was helping somebody else to stand on this stage instead. They were paying me to teach them because not only would they get the benefit from it that I'm going to get from it, they'd actually appreciate it. And I don't Mm -hmm. appreciate this. I don't want to be here. Right. Um, And that was that was where the real decision came that I, I wanted to focus on helping other people to to achieve that freedom. As I said earlier, whether that's just the financial freedom to have enough time to invest yep. back into your family and not have to stress about work because the mental stresses and strains that come with being an entrepreneur are right. second to none. Like you, you may feel you have a stressful job, but you know your salary is turning up at the end of the month. Right. You add into that that your mortgage isn't going away, but you don't yeah. know whether that client's going to pay on time or whether they're going to pay at all. I mean, here's one that I never knew. And, and it's probably sounds quite naive. And every entrepreneur listening to this will probably be laughing their heads off. I had no idea that clients didn't pay their bills on time. Like right. I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing. Like my wages were never paid late. So I, yeah. I didn't know that that when was when I worked thing. for someone else, I always got a paycheck. I yeah. don't know why I wouldn't get one now. Yeah, precisely. So it's like, I did the work. Why aren't you paying? And it's like, yep. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's with the accounts team. And you hear every excuse in the book. Correct. And, um, I remember call, one year call I this person, up, call that person. This is who you need to talk to. And you just get the runaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one year I wrote up $65,000, uh, 65,000 pounds, which is probably about $80,000 worth of business in yeah. one year. And I, I had to write it off because I, I was just never going to get it back. And, yeah. and these people were just, there was two clients, one in particular, but they were just never going to pay. And I, I had to make a really painful decision of, I've already wasted a lot of time on them. How much more time am I going to waste trying to chase this money? Yeah. Um, but like you didn't, you don't know this stuff when you first set up and no, it's stressful. Not at all. Yeah, the first you couple know what? times you get you get stiffed on money, it's like yeah. a, a rude it's really painful. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. But but you know what you find is once you get to that kind of influence and authority level, they're a lot less likely to do that because they're mm-hmm. worried about their reputation in the in the As wider well. industry. Yeah. Um, so it's not about you; they don't care about you. It's mm-hmm. about I'm worried that if this person decides to say on their podcast in front of their eighty. 80- by thousand downloaders yeah this company shafted me on money yeah they're, they're, gonna they're, they're done yeah. so they're gonna pay it because it, it and, and i would never do that because that's not who i am i've never done that i've never mm-hmm. named the, these clients but it's that fear and it's and, yeah but you shouldn't have to do that to people to, to get them to pay you for a job well done yeah I've always said, you know, and I and I've I, I've said this in in every aspect of business I've been in is is if you if you are if you're asking someone else or requiring someone else to give you a service or or assist you in some manner, um, you should pay. If you mm-hmm. if you're not asking somebody for something, um, then you don't have to because you're not they're not you're not provide you're not getting anything from them. But it's one of those I've always said to everybody, um, you know, and, and it's funny because I think I've only been stiffed. It's only been a couple times and, and literally some of the older, some of the landscape type businesses you've had, I've had that, that I used to own when I was real young. 
and mainly people that moved or people that were like, well, you didn't mow the lawn right or something. And they, and you know, I was younger yeah, then sure. and I didn't know any better. Uh, but construction, I can, I can honestly say, and, I, and I'm kind of proud of it is since we've been here in Tulsa and we've had uh, the name of our company's time work delivery uh, LLC. And since we've been here, we have never had one client. I've never had one client not pay us ever. Do you know what? It's a real problem. And it's amazing the... to get to that point where, like you yeah. said, I mean, when you get hit with not being paid, you're like, oh, it hurts so bad. But mm. when we built this company up, I said, you know, as long as I know, if I focus on doing everything on my end right, I make sure I'm giving them quality work that I would want mm -hmm. in my own house. Um, then they're going to come back. First off, they're going to come back as repeat customers. And second off, they're going to always mm. want to pay. And I've had clients come true. to me and say, I will pay you up front because you did such a good job at my last house. We'll, but we'll pay you up front to go ahead and get this project going. Mm. And I'm like, wow, people that will actually want to pay up front instead of me waiting on my pay. That's amazing. So it's funny you should say that. So I, our coaching business and our podcast business, we've never had this problem. The, the one area where we've repeatedly had this problem, um, and it wasn't even anything to do with the quality of work because it was really good quality. It was in the recruitment sector because there's actually a wider issue, particularly here in the UK, um, of that being an issue. And the reason being that a lot of the time, those small to medium-sized recruitment fees, I'm not talking about the major headhunt search here. I'm talking kind yeah. of you know, salespeople, mid to, uh, sort of entry to mid-level management the cost of the fee is around the same amount of money that you would spend to recoup it, taking right. it to small claims court and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah. a lot of the time it's like that most I've, I've actually heard companies say that they don't pay an invoice until they receive the first legal letter. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a real problem here. So about again, about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, everybody told me I was crazy and said it's not going to work. Your business is going to close down and all this kind of stuff because I went, that's it. Everybody pays up front now. We, yeah. we work on a retained basis. You pay 50% up front and 50% on delivery. Yeah. And I was quite honest with people and said, the reason that we do that is A, because if I'm going to put time and effort in, you're going to pay for that time and effort. And yeah. B, because we've now been stung and so many other people in this industry have been stung so many times that you've almost lost the right to do that. Correct. So, I'm not doing that. So if you've got a problem with that, then that's fine. There's a load more agencies out there that you can go and work with that will quite happily allow you to do it this way. Yep. Um, but I'm not going to be one of them. And the confidence that that gave me and my clients, and in fact, the, the byproduct of that was I instantly won exclusivity because they didn't want to pay me 50% up front and then maybe get the placement from somebody else right. and end up paying one and a half for the fee. Um, so like a byproduct, I didn't even have to ask for exclusivity. I just was like, right, you're going to pay me this and yep. that's how it's going to work. And I only lost one client ever in, in the history of this. who was like, well, that's not how I want to work. So off you go. And at the time I remember feeling sort of, uh, a little bit put out by it a little bit, right. like, like a bit like, well, why wouldn't you do that? I do a good job for you. Mm -hmm. And then the more I kind of reflected on it over the, the coming weeks and months, the more I realized that that really wasn't a client that I should have been working with because right. if they're not prepared to respect my value and, and treat me accordingly. Then now the irony they is- They didn't see your value. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, the irony is that they're a real estate company, so they get paid half up front and half on the end. So right. what, they, they're why used to receiving it. So why wouldn't you do it for me? Yeah. Um, but as for the coaching stuff, that's never been a problem. In fact, quite the opposite actually most of the time people will start on kind of a small to medium-sized package and then upgrade to a more expensive package or, or like a, we call our, our biggest package the full monty um and it's literally kind of one-on-one -on -one with me every week for 10 weeks plus videos and podcasts that guide you through and 
a lot of strategy sessions and it's a, it's a lot more kind of bespoke coaching. So yes, there are frameworks that we work through, but it's a, let's use the example of you, for example, this would be, okay, how do we get your construction coaching business up and running? Not just the coaching business, because it's going right. to be different per sector, you know, and let's not talk about events and publications that we want to get you into. Let's specifically talk about which construction exhibitions and which trade magazines that we want right. you to be featured in. Um, and, people tend to start on like one, they'll come to us and they'll say, great, can we do the podcasting booking service? Or can we do the done for you service for three months where you'll do the podcast for us? It's always funny. I always say minimum term contract three months. Nobody ever does three months because right. by the end of that three months, they're going, we're making money. We're winning clients. We're winning influence. We're you done. just keep doing it for us. Right. Yeah. And I love that because it's like, okay, well, you know, let's go to a monthly rolling contract because I know they're still <laughs> going to be here nine to 12 months later. And yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> it, do, it, do, it doesn't scare me. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that because it means that people are, are coming to me again and again. And I guess one of the ways that we, we really judge that within our business is a lot of our business still to this day is referral based. We, yes. win, a, we win a lot of business via referrals. And, and that's think, how we get a lot of ours too. And it speaks volumes about you when you do, yeah. because referrals are the thing that you can't really buy because you have to have done a good service and delivered yeah. good customer experience over a sustained period of time for somebody to be, I mean, well, there's a statistic out there. I don't remember what it is, but it's something along the lines of, you know, somebody is six times more likely to tell somebody about a negative experience than they are mm -hmm. to share a positive experience. So Correct. when your business is winning a lot of clients based on referral, that means that you've done a six times better job than the people they're moaning about. Yeah. And what um, I love, what I love too, is what we get and we get a lot of it is we have clients that we've done jobs for consistently and, and, and totally left on good terms. And, and they went with another contractor that they use now, mm -hmm. but that same, that same client is still referring us business while they're yes. working with another client or another yep. contractor. And, and to me, that's like the biggest pat on the back there could be that, that the relationship we had was really good. And if they needed me, they'd call me again. And I've actually had a few clients that are like, look, Dean, um, I've got a guy working on this job. He's out of here about three o'clock. Could you come by and walk the job with me to make sure his protocols and his procedures are I proper? Love that. And, yeah. I, and I do that all the time. Um, I, I do a lot more. Um, I have a lot of real estate clients that'll call me for investment properties and they want me mm -hmm. to do the walkthroughs and then give them an estimate on what it's going to cost so they can get the investment bank involved. And I will literally go do these and, and I walk through and I literally, I have no paper and no pen. And yep. they're like, wait, do you want, do you want, you need me to grab you a paper or pen? Do you need me to run, you know, do you have something in your truck, a clipboard you could write on? And I said, no, I don't. It's all right here. Yeah. And they're, and they're amazed when I walk through a job and I'm literally right down to like the last drywall nail. And I, mm -hmm. and I have that in my estimate when I, I go back to the office and I work on the estimate for a day or two and I shoot it back to them and they go, how in the heck did you remember all that? I it's literally you know walk your on stuff, a job. Isn't it? Yeah. I walk on the job with a tape measure and, and I measure, I get my square footages and it all goes in my head, every single room, every, every bit of the floor plan. And, and I talk to a lot of, um, a lot of guys I deal with in the trade. What I tell them is, um, you know, first off, when I was younger, I was diagnosed with having photographic memory a little bit. Now, as I've partied cool. and gotten older, that's kind of got burnt out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. However, up front, when I look at something, I memorize it and, and yes. I recognize things and, I, and I, I have ways of putting things in my head that I know. And numbers, numbers on jobs is something I can tell you measure. I can't tell you measurements five minutes from now, but I can tell you measurements from projects I did 10 years ago. That's cool. Um, it's just really weird. 
But I like that. The, the amazing thing is I'll go with them and I'll do all this. And they're like, are you sure you don't need to write any of this down? And then I'll present them the final uh, estimate. And it's, it's, a, it's a done sale. I mean, they look at it and they, first they're amazed that I even remembered all of this stuff. And second off, they'll even go and, and further take their tape and remeasure to make sure I'm getting these accurate numbers. Yeah. And, and they're like, dude, you nailed it on the head with every single of a five bedroom house, kitchen, two bathrooms, the whole night. Like you hit every single number dead on. It's when you and, know your stuff. Like we, 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 I have similar conversations when it comes to the coaching stuff. So we're speaking with businesses and, you know, they're literally in despair. They're going, well, we've tried everything. It's not going to work for us. And I don't know what the problem is. I keep trying stuff and it's not working. And I'm thinking like five minutes into this call, I know exactly what the problem is. Yep. Like I, I, we could solve this like right now. I know exactly what it is. And actually that was something that I had to learn to try and be careful with, obviously with a coaching business, because the amount of times I was just going, Oh, it's this. Right. <laughs> just give it away. Give it away. The the give it away yeah, the job. And then I go, well, they're not going to pay me for it now, are they? Cause I've just right. told them what it is. Um, but you know, so there's definitely an element of that, but a fun, funny thing you should say actually about the, the referral base and all that kind of stuff. I always say it's a, it's an odd one. Uh, we don't have a hundred percent success rate because yeah. I've done one refund in a six year period. Yeah. But I always say a, but with that and that one hurt actually, Yeah. but I always say a, but with that because that guy asked for a refund because he committed to doing something and then had a change in his personal circumstances and basically right. said, look, I no longer have the time to commit to this. So yeah. can you give me can my, money, my money back? back? Yeah. And you know, we didn't even have a refund policy like that in that person, mm-hmm. that place. And it was like, if I was in his shoes, how would I feel? So I said, yeah, here you go. Have it back. But he was so grateful that we did that, that he referred about three or four of the paying clients to us. So I always say like, we don't have a hundred percent success rate. Cause I have to acknowledge that I gave somebody a right. refund, but that refund turned into three or four more refer clients. So <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't feel too negatively about it. It's right. Amazing. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's always good to share. Cause I guess the, the reality is, you know, if, I, if somebody said to me, Oh, we have a hundred percent success rate, I'd go, I'm calling yeah. BS and, on and that see, one. I don't, that's, that's another thing. Like while we've always had clients that always paid, um, I can't say that it's been a hundred percent success because we, there's, no. there's all, all of the journey uh, through a project for me is every, every project, even if I'm doing uh, kitchen and bathrooms for, mm-hmm. for a three, I la- let's pr- prime example. Last year, I think I did three dozen bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Every bathroom to me, when I walk into it, it is the same. However, there's always different stuff you run into when you demo them. And when you, I mean, there's always some other structural issue. Um, so while they all seem the same to me, uh, I learned something on every one. So, yeah. and, and sometimes you win and you lose. So sometimes I'll bid one that I'm thinking, well, this one's going to be about the same amount of money as this one was, uh, or same square footage, same material cost, you know, whatever. And, and I end up eating some money here or there. Yep. So, so while I, you know, while our clients always pay, I don't look at that as the success. I mean, it's a success yeah. when everybody pays great, but yeah. at, at the real, the real success is that I'm able to, to, to progress and continue to get referrals and new relationships 100%. is way more important than me just getting paid um, because it, 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 it reflects on who I am and what I'm doing as a quality of work. And like you I also, was, uh, side note, like I was saying, mm-hmm. when I walk through these houses with, with clients um, and, I, and I'm memorizing stuff, part of the reason why I'm, I'm memorizing stuff is because I'm looking at it from a personal perspective, like I'm valuing their project. So in other words, I'm looking at it as what if this was my house? I want to know every square inch of it. And so I don't need a, I don't need a piece of paper to know my house if I treat it like it's my house and it has value. And so when I walk through with an investor, I do that with every project, even if they never buy it, even if it's one we're just looking at on the market, 
Uh, I walk through it with the intentions that I want to know every square inch of it as if me and my family live here. Yeah. And that's a lot of the way I remember a lot of it is like, you know, if, if my son was here, this would be his room. If this was, this is our master bedroom, this is our bathroom. And I kind of mm -hmm. look at things that way. And, and when you start to value your client and you start to value why they're, they're using your time, um, you know, they called me for a reason. I'm, I'm a value to them. So shouldn't I show the same value and respect back? Um, it tends to like help me remember more about projects. Now, if I walk into a project with somebody and I'm like, me and him aren't clicking or, or he's just a real jerk or a dickhead, uh, mm -hmm. I might, I might very likely just be like, yeah, this is going to be this much and just throw a number out there. Yeah, for sure. You no, know, it's, it's, I've got to, I've got to kind of feel it, but, but at the end of the day, I don't feel that our successes are just by being paid. I feel like the success no. is what, what I learn along the way what the client gets to learn along the way and the relationship we build together along the way. Uh, and, and I love a lot of people are like, man, I hope nothing goes wrong on this project. I'm the type of person. I hope sometimes things go wrong because that, you learn more that, way. that I learn more, but it teaches me how the client that I'm going to maybe work with in the future several times, how they react to problems, how I react to problems, how we resolve together. Some clients are like, you better pay for this. And some other clients are like, what do we do to get to, to the next step? How yeah, do we exactly. fix this? I'm so you have angry. some that are very, very, uh, very firm about it's your fault. And then you have some that it's like, okay, we knew this was going to happen. Let's, let's figure out what we got to do. Is it going to cost us more money or you more money? And, or both of us pitch in and just get it done. And, and I, I like to, I like, that's the part of it that I find it for me is, is the success part of it. Um, the failure was, part of it is when you, when you, when you run into these problems and you can't communicate. A hundred percent. Do you know what? The communication piece is key. And we're very picky about the people that we work with for that very reason. And, and I always use the word resonate, like it has to resonate. Yep. And, um, I remember probably a month or two ago, I was speaking with this guy and he wanted our full Monty package. So he was just happily investing $20,000 comfortably into what we were doing. And, and, but he was such an ass, like the way, <laughs> yeah. he, the way, the way he spoke to me. And I just, there was a few things he said that I was just like, that, that hit the wrong chord. And then during this call, he said to me, I'll never forget it. He said to me, so you're going to do this for me. And well, you better had be bloody doing it for me. Cause that's what I'm paying you for. And I was like, oh, can I just stop you there? Like, right. this is a partnership and we work together. And like, I see what you're getting from this. What I'm getting from this is a headache. Right. And like, I'm not interested. And he was like, no, I, I didn't mean it like that. And I was like, yeah. but it's not the first time you've said something. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. So listen, uh, I don't want to waste either of our time because I respect Correct. your time as much as I respect mine. I'm sure that this will work for you. Please go and have a conversation with somebody else because it's not going to be with me. And yeah. he literally hounded me for about four weeks, video <laughs> messages, WhatsApp messages, until eventually I got back on the phone to him and I said, look, I, I am doing this because I respect your time. I am not going to work with you because I right. don't feel that it's right. Now you coming out with a list of logical reasons as to why, why we should, should isn't going to change how right. I feel about this situation. So yeah. let's, and he was like, Oh, you're just being an ass. You're just, and it's like, well, you can say what you like, like the, your attitude as to how you've just flipped on me now is the exact reason that we're not working together. Right. Um, yeah. And, and it's, you said that, you know, there's so much more than being paid. Like, just a few days ago, one of my clients in New Zealand was um, put a post up on, on LinkedIn. It's not even anything to do with me. So, uh, he's a customer experience expert. And 
he was replying on another industry leader's post talking about what's the best customer experience you've had recently. And he named me and my company. And I was like, nice. he, he tagged us in it and was like, these guys are awesome. Like, That's I love awesome. them. Like, they're such an imp- And I'm thinking that that to me is worth way, way more yes. than him paying his invoice. And I messaged him and I said, um, you, you don't realize like how much that means to me. Like that meant more to me than the invoice at the end of the month. Yeah. And then he came out with another line, which again made me emotional. Um, and he said, yours is the invoice I look forward to paying because it adds so much value to my business. And I was like, see, like, that's so amazing to hear. That's yeah. so like, it's worth so much more to me than the money. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like that, that is amazing. And is. that is the kind of service that we want to make sure that we deliver for every single person that we work with. But the only way that we can achieve that is if that we go into this with the same objectives and the same values and the same sort of, and we yeah. resonate together because, you know, a great example of a podcast, right? If you're, if your intention of starting a podcast to win clients is so that you can have five conversations every single month with potential clients in your industry and convert one or two of them into business. Fine, easy, no problem. We can do that standing on our heads done. But if you're going to get upset at the end of month two, that you don't have 6,000 downloads per episode, your expectation wasn't matching the reality of the situation. So it didn't matter. No. So it didn't matter how good a job we did. We might be looking at this going, we did an amazing job because in that two months, he's not, he's interviewed 10 people. And instead of winning three or four clients, he's won six. Right. But that person is still annoyed at you that they didn't hit that number of listeners. So it's, it's about making sure that you're all, you're both in alignment and you're both working towards that same goal. And you, you have the same kind of metrics for expectations. Um, and that was something that was a valuable lesson for me to learn, um, in business. And one that it took me a while to learn was that I may feel that we've, in fact, it goes both ways. There have been times where I've thought we did a great job with this. And the client is like, Oh, well, mm, I was expecting this. And you're like, well, that's completely unreasonable. Like that's, (laughs) or not even what we discussed. (laughs) Yeah. That's really unfair. And then I've had other times where it's like, Oh, we, I feel like we should give this client a bit more love next month. Cause I don't feel like we really gave them the love they deserve. Meanwhile, they're going, you guys are awesome. We love you. Thank you so much for everything. It's like, we're we're not in line. Like, yeah. Can we just find that happy medium where everything's cohesive? Yeah, precisely. And, and you know what, that comes down to relationship building and communication. Yeah, you tell me what you're trying to achieve. And and I'm not a yes man by any stretch of imagination. If there are things that we can achieve with you, I will tell you how and I will tell you how how we're going to get there what I expect from you and what you can expect from me. If you have things in there that are completely unreasonable, I'm going to tell you they're completely unreasonable and tell you the reasons why why it's not going to be the way it's junk. Take it out. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? So many people come with baggage and things anyway. And it's like, why is it, you know, people say, I have to appear in uh, Inc. Magazine. That's my aim. I want to appear in Inc. Magazine. And it's like, but if I got you into the Wall Street Journal and Entrepreneur, but not Inc., would you consider that a failure? And it's <laughs> right. like, oh, no, no, that'd be fine. So it's like, so, so don't put barriers there that yeah, don't need don't, to be. I get that's where one. you want. Yeah. yeah. I get that's where you want to be and we'll aim to get there. But like, if, if Inc. don't want to write about you because the editor thinks you're an ass, but on, you know Forbes magazine want to write about you every right. week, like that's not a negative. That's a positive. Yeah, that's a good target. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so it, essentially, it's just, it all comes down to that communication piece. And I think people are so afraid of sales in business that you know, they turn into yes men and yes women. And it's like, we will do this for you. We will get there. And they overpromise and underdeliver. And yep. my attitude has always been the complete opposite. I would rather under promise and over deliver every single time. Yeah. And, and that, and that's totally key. 
Um, one of the things I want to talk about too, I noticed uh, is is I, uh, on your actual pro uh, profile is looking at spirituality, and that's something I yeah. just wanted to touch on. Um, I'm a Christian. Um, I I've been through uh, all kinds of variations in my life of, yep. of being being a Christian, not being a Christian, not understanding my way, losing my way. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about where you are spiritually. So. Um... I'm a very spiritual person, but I wouldn't describe myself as a very religious person anymore. Right. Um, I was, I was raised in a very Catholic household. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, you'll see lots of tattoos all over me that I've, I've got very Catholic tattoos all over my body. Right. Um, not that that makes me a religious person, but if it, right. it was a very important part of my life for a long, long time. Um, but I guess that there were certain things that I couldn't, you, <laughs> Like, like meditation and mediumship and, and all that, that kind of stuff and what comes next and all, all, all mm -hmm. of this sort of stuff. Like there were things that I agreed with and there were things that I disagreed with. Um, there were things that I was experiencing in my life through meditation and through mediumship and things that I am told in my religion don't really exist. And if they did, they're not good. Right. Um, and, and, it, it kind of got to the point where the two couldn't coincide together anymore. Um, I was quite fortunate that my grandmother was a very spiritual person. So when I was about age 11 or probably 11, I think um, she took me to a school to go and learn about transcendental meditation. So I've been doing TM for a very, very long time now. Uh, and it keeps me grounded. It keeps me sane. Right. Um, it's an, it's an incredible tool. And anyway. I I remember, I mean, I'm quite grateful that it's coming around again, actually, if I'm honest, in terms of meditation, people seem a lot more open to talk about it these days. Like 20 years ago, when I was talking about it, it'd be like, what, you sit in a room and go, um, it's like, right. no, I never, I never make that noise. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> it's like, that's not, that's not how I meditate. It's like, do you levitate and stuff? It's like, no, what, what do you think I am? Like, uh, I'm a Buddha. I haven't reached right. enlightenment. Like you, you sat having a beer with me. You think that I go home and put robes on and, and yep. shave my head and sit and float for a bit. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? How do you picture me when I leave this meeting? <laughs> yeah. Like what, what, what do you think happens? Uh, and but it was, you know, it, for me, it was a really important part of, it, it is a really important part of my life. I think, um, you know, there are times that I've also been quite lost and, and I often find that the times where I've been sort of most disconnected to myself have been the times that I forget to meditate. Right. Um, and the times that I, I forget to kind of have that self-reflective period. So I have a saying that I use quite a lot, which is I make more decisions with my heart and less with my head because my head doesn't know any more than I do. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is when I meditate, I try on feelings. So let's say you'd come to a crossroads in your career or your relationship or friendship or whatever, mm -hmm. and you're not sure which way to go. And you're doing that awful turmoil thing where your head's just playing right. through every single scenario. Well, your head isn't going to be able to work this out because if it knew, it would know already by now. It's not just going to suddenly wake up one morning and go, that's the way to do it. Yep. So instead, I meditate on it and I go through each of those scenarios and I see how it feels. And I go with the one that feels like it resonates with me the most. Right. And and I kind of use my heart as like the, my compass for that. Like some people would call it the heart. Some people would call it the soul, whatever you want to refer to it as. But it, ultimately, it's that gut feeling. It's right. the this feels right or this doesn't feel right. You know, I, I use the example of relationships. You know, you can be with a spouse and you can, you can explain all the reasons you love this person. You know, they take good care of me. They're always there for me. They're supportive. It's like, well, I could replace them with somebody who does all of the same things 
but you wouldn't love them right. because it wouldn't feel the same. Correct. So you're talking about logical actions and things that they do and don't do, but it's the feeling. And that's the thing that's often quite hard to put into words. So for me, I think your feeling is your greatest sense of intuition and the greatest tool that you have to, to making decisions. You know, we, we used it before, didn't we, when we were talking, where right. we're, we're both the kind of personality that one day will wake up and go, this doesn't feel right anymore yeah. and I don't want to do it. Yep. Um, yep. You can't explain why. It's like, it's not like it stopped making money or, you know, you, 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 I don't know. It's like, it's none of those things. It, nothing major happened. I just, mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel right anymore. Yep. Um, and I think that's a big part of spirituality. And, and you know, I'm married to a, a South African Indian Muslim. Um, so we're, we're raising our children in kind of a non-religious home in, in one sense, and as much as they are being taught about our religion, right. but they're mainly being taught about spirituality. They're mainly being taught about following. To really identify with themselves. They know themselves a Meditation. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? Because you, you, you can, you can choose a religion and I don't, I don't have anything against that. Yeah. I know people who were raised Catholic that are now Buddhists. I know people who, you know, and uh, whatever. I'm a, I'm a like firm believer in, on. I'm a firm believer in having a, some, some sort of relationship with a higher power or some, some sort of relationship with somebody above yep. and beyond yourself. Or even when, when you look deeper yep. into yourself, having a relationship there, but understanding your being and there's a bigger being there, there's a bigger, yes. bigger thing that we don't understand in the world. Uh, as far as religion goes, you know, while, while I still go to church and I still uh, attend, you know, church for fellowship, um, religion has never, and even now, religion itself has never been the center of my focus. Um, it really yep. is, a, is about what I believe, who I believe, who I have faith in, who I pray to. Um, and really, it's always been centering who I am. Yes. And having that relationship. I- but you know what? So, so for me, that's meditation. For other people, that will be prayer, and right. you know, and and that that's that's like that's completely cool. For me, I guess it, I just got to the point where I didn't like the labels anymore, right? Because you know, I hear people that will describe to me that they're Catholic, but they go to church once a year, or they probably never go. Right? It's like, how are you possibly Catholic when you don't do that? And then you've got other people that go to church every Sunday, and they're not good people, and they're jerks and like, all week long. Yeah, yeah, that that doesn't it was it doesn't excuse you because you go to church. Like you, well, yeah. I I take. A, uh, Sunday Bible studies with the kids and I help them with that. It's like, great. So one day a week, you're not an ass and the rest of the week you are. Correct. Or, like, or I uh, donate money to a, a charity. So therefore I'm, I'm a good person. And um, plus, you know, it, it being raised as Christian, you know, we both believe that, that God loves us and that God is love and that God is forgiving. So my attitude is if I live my life in a good way and get up there and he says, you're not coming in because you didn't go to church every Sunday, then I probably right. don't want to be up there anyway. Right. It's um, probably not the place to be. It's probably not the place for me. It's not going to feel right. Whereas I, I, I truly don't believe that. I believe we're judged on the merits and, and our actions and, and feelings and how we behave towards other people in life. Right. And provided you're a good person, I really couldn't give less of a toss what religion you are. That's just yeah. my personal opinion. That's kind of where I'm at in life. You know, uh, I, I'm friends with so many different people, different backgrounds, cultures, grew up around a lot of different cultures. And, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, we have like right now in our nation, we're having a lot of this, this civil unrest with, um, with, with prejudice and racism. And, mm-hmm. and I don't see it. You know, I, I've, you know, I, I understand it. It's existed. I understand it's been around, but, but I really don't. Uh, for lack of a lack of a better way to put it is like there was an interview with Morgan Freeman where he he was interviewing with a white guy uh, I think it was like a 60 minutes or something like that and mm-hmm. and the guy asked him he said he said what would what would we do to get rid of uh, racism mm-hmm. and Morgan Freeman literally just said you stop calling me black and I'll stop calling you white and we just ended racism 
And it's kind of one of those things with like religion and stuff. It's kind of the same yeah. thing with me spiritually is, so is true. I really don't care if you're Muslim. I really don't care if you're, you're a Catholic. I really don't care if you're Lutheran or whatever you may be. Um, how do you treat me as a person? How, how am I treating you as a person? Um, what can I mm-hmm. do to help you? What can I do to assist you? And, and, and really what I think where I've become in the past like five, six years um, in my spiritual journey really with myself as I, what I found is that I am happier and more content helping others. Mm-hmm. And, and if that means holding a door and I, and I say it a lot at the end of some of my podcasts, I say it a lot uh, when I'm out uh, just talking to people or I'll, I'll get on Facebook sometimes and do a live. And, mm-hmm. and I mention to people to do that. And I try to post every day when I can, but um, something as simple as holding the door for someone, something as simple yeah. as giving a smile, a compliment, a hug, um, paying mm-hmm. for somebody's meal in the, in the drive-through behind you paying for yep. it. Uh, simple things like that, while that makes me feel good and I do it because it makes me feel good. I also do it because it slowly ingrains in me that that's the type of person I want to be. Yeah. And and while sometimes some days it takes me actually acknowledging and taking and making action out of it. Mm. uh, I noticed more frequently in the past five years, I've actually become just doing it. It just becomes something I do. It's part of who you are. I love that so much, but I'm a big believer in manifestation and abundancy and all this kind of stuff. But I, I'm also very aware that you can't get unless you, you can't receive unless you give. Right. Um, and, you know, you, you just hit the nail on the head, I think. And I'm not, when I, when I talk about this, and this is touching on a, a subject that actually really does bother me. I'm not talking about these muppets on social media who give food to homeless people so that they can film themselves on a selfie right. doing this. Like that is not, that is not it. That's not okay. No. In fact, that's the opposite of okay. The whole point of giving is like, if I could give to somebody without them ever knowing it was me, that's right. even better. Yeah, right? that's the best. Yeah, yeah, that is 100% the best because that I did that for completely selfless reasons. Um, I did it without the anticipation of ever getting anything back. I didn't need the kudos because now you're doing it for ego. If you need right. to do it for kudos and likes on Facebook, you, then you're doing it for ego. Yeah. Whereas if, you know, I'll give you an example, right? Here's, here's one example. And, and I will share this because it was years ago. So I don't even mind doing it. We, we have a, a heat. We had a heat wave here in the UK. Now it doesn't happen very often, but we had a heat wave here in the UK. And I just got off the phone. I was in Manchester city center and I was with my family having lunch and I, a client rang me and said, I need you to do this, this, and this for me. And I need it really urgently. So I will pay X for it. And they offered me a price that was about three or four times what I would have charged them for it. Yeah. And whilst I was sat there, at dinner telling my wife about it at lunch having uh with my wife my phone pinged and he paid it then and there no worried about the invoice just (laughs) there's the money and it was like wow okay that was unexpected but it was like i'd received so now i had to give because something was out of out of whack so i went to the bank and i got out uh i think it wasn't very much it was like 150 dollars, 150 pounds and i got it in five pound notes yeah um and I went to the shop and I bought a big, well, two big crates of water bottles uh, from the fridge. And I, in the label of it, I stuffed the five pound note. And I walked around Manchester city center, giving it out to every homeless person that I could yeah. find. Here's an ice cold bottle of water, knowing yep. that as soon as they'd finished that water, they'd realize that they had lunch and a drink there as well. So they knew I was giving them a water bottle, but they didn't realize I was giving them money as well. And I didn't yep. want that. And there was no filming myself. I didn't go and post all over social right. media or my website or write a blog about how I'd done it. It was my way of giving back because it was like, they are 
in a position that, that I could have found myself in extremely easily had a few things in my life not have happened. And I'm not going to judge somebody based on their current circumstances because that's, right. it's not my place to judge. Um, but you know, I did that and there's lots of things that, that, that I'll, you know, you, you feel compelled to do, but I, I, I am a true, true believer in, you know, if you're manifesting, I mean, people have tried stuff like this, like the secret and all that sort of stuff. If you're trying to manifest something into your life and it's not coming, you might be the blockage. Like right. the fact that you're not giving enough might be the blockage. You know, people who are afraid that they never have enough money. It's yeah. like, if you're prepared to give it away freely, even though you're scared about where your money's going to come from, that's where the universe will have your back and give you money. But if you say, I've only got 400 bucks to last me to the end of the month. So I'm going to sit on this 400 bucks right. really tightly and just hope that another couple of thousand turns up. Yeah, it's not coming, no. right? But if you've got that 400 bucks and you're prepared to say, realistically, I can feed myself and be okay on 200 bucks. I'm going to give the other 200 to people who need it more than I do. You better believe that the universe is going to have your back and take care of you in right. that situation. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's, it's interesting how sometimes when you can, you know, you just, like I said, it's been a journey for me uh, of just, just really trying to make habit of this stuff and, and just, just trying to make, you know, at the very end of the day, if it's my little, my little legacy that I leave behind is that I did mm -hmm. a few good things for a few good people. Um, that's important to me. And, and I agree a hundred percent about, you know, sometimes we can be the blockage. Me and my wife are very keen on, um, uh, we'll talk about a, a discussion of finances or something that's come up and, and we're, we're never, since we've been together while, while we worry about some bills that need paid or while we worry about like, can we, can we work on this project? We just got our roof done. We just, there's a bunch of stuff we've done to the house. And mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those, like, while we worry and talk and discuss about those things, we never worry about where the money's coming from. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's, and it's not that we have so much money coming in that we don't have to worry about it. It's just mm -hmm. that if you sit around and you focus on uh, a good point you made is like, if you have 400 bucks and you're just, that's all you have for the month and you're just going to sit on it. Um, we don't ever really focus on the money side of it. We focus no. on how do we achieve what we're wanting to get done while we know it's going to take money. Um, are we going to focus on, on getting that the money we need? Are we going to focus on the money we have, or are we just mm -hmm. going to go ahead and keep living our daily life, attaining our goals along the way, which our goals are what we've worked together to bring in the money, yes. which, which then finances the things we want to do. 100%. Um, so we can't really stop it. You know, we can never really just kind of isolate ourselves into like focusing on the money part of it. And, and when we're, when we're really wanting to give back to others, I feel I've always felt this way when we reach a point in business or we reach a point in our lives where we're at a point that we can help and lift somebody back up. Yeah. That's what we should do. And it's like your you responsibility said, to do that. Correct. So like yeah. you, you just giving water and, and some lunch money to helping out some people that are homeless and just even something as simple as just giving a smile and a compliment to somebody. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be money. At. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It costs nothing. And you never know where somebody's at in life. Yeah, uh, so you true. could be, you could literally compliment a lady on her outfit while holding the door to let her in a restaurant. Who's actually thinking about killing herself today. Yeah. hundred percent. It's uh, such a good she's point. Super depressed or anxious. And with the pandemic and all the things in our world going on in society, um, there, there's, while, while I tend to look at the positive, you tend to look at positives. Uh, we, we try to always stay positive and think about those things in our lives. Some people aren't, and we have to keep in mind that sometimes but you know what? I'll, I'll give a... is just giving a smile, a compliment, and it might change their dynamic of, they could be suicidal. They could be yeah. depressed. They could be going through a divorce. 
Uh, there's so many things that just that one moment, that one smile, compliment, holding a door, anything can totally change that person's day, even if it's for one moment. Well, I'll give a task for your listeners, if I may, then, because it's yeah, just some, a task that somebody gave to me, and I, I think it's so profound. I mean, it's, it's great for you, but it's also really good for other people. Um, go and have a look through your phone book, like your WhatsApp or however you communicate with people, okay? And pick 10 people who you haven't spoken to for the, within the last 60 days, right? okay? And just message them just to see how they are. Mm-hmm. Just check in on them. Just drop them a message and say, you know, whatever it is, Hey brother, just thinking about you. Wanted to just check in, see how you were doing. Um, how's COVID period been for you? What's it like over in your area? Just check in and see how they're doing, right? Yep. With no expectation of getting anything back from that. Don't add in a, by the way, if you need any business, you know, don't, right. don't do that. Just, just do it for the sake of checking in on your fellow humans. Just and genuinely caring. Yeah. Yeah. And, and see how they're doing. And you know what? You will be amazed the amount of people that are like, do you know what? Thank you so much for doing that. That's really, that's, that's great of you to do that. I'm mm-hmm. fine. Thank you. But then you may just find that one person who's like, actually, you know what? Things have been pretty tough at the minute and they just needed somebody to talk to. And you being right. that ear for them right now is the best gift that you could give somebody. So it doesn't have to be financial. In fact, it's rarely financial. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you giving, you know, money to somebody will, will come and it will go. You giving kind words to somebody. Yeah, yeah, it is. You giving kind words to somebody or giving them a, some support or a shoulder to cry in, or, or even just a, a bit of a pick me up that will be remembered forever. Yeah. And I post that a lot on, um, especially on my personal Facebook. I, I post a lot that if there's ever anybody out there that needs to talk or communicate, I, I always tell people, give me a call. You have my number. Most, most people, even, even strangers that I've met, even via social media, like yeah. they'll message me uh, and then they'll yeah. say, I'm having a hard time or, you know, I'm, I'm going through something. I saw your message today and I, I appreciated you saying that. And, and I am going through a hard time. Pray for me. And I'm like, okay, well, that's really cool. You know, what's going on? And I'll yeah. try to engage them and whether they want to talk about it or not, you know, that's, that's their discretion, that's them. but it's the point that that door has been open and maybe I help them relieve a little bit of stress that day. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. but well, I'm going to go ahead and kind time. of wrap things up, but I want to, um, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of give us some, some insight on, on where we can reach you, where my audience can reach you. Uh, mm. Some of the stuff you want to throw out there, go ahead. Sure thing, brother. Thank you. So yeah, do you know what? I, I just, as a global networker, I love talking to people. So uh, I've really enjoyed this. So firstly, thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate um, it. It's been a real pleasure. Um, if you want to reach out to me, you can do that in two ways. Either head over to billionairesinboxes.com uh, or indeed, if you want to find me directly, I have a really unusual surname. So a quick Google search will help you find me. Um, it's Phil Palucha, which is P-E-L-U-C-H-A. In fact, if you just search Palucha, you'll probably find me. Um I personally, I probably shouldn't tell you this because the marketing team might go mad. I personally manage the LinkedIn page and Twitter page. The rest of it, somebody else does for me. Um, but so if you want to reach out to me directly, LinkedIn or Twitter is the way to do it. Failing that, one of my lovely team will be able to help you. But, um, you know, whether whether you've listened to this and think, do you know what, this sounds really interesting. I'd love to learn more. Or whether you've listened to this and think, this guy's nuts. Like he's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, I, I welcome all kinds of feedback. So hit me up. Awesome. Well, Phil, it's been great. It really has been. Um, I'm going to go ahead and sign off of here. Um, I'd love to have you again. I'd love to be on your show. Um, 100% brother. Sounds podcast, great. Let's make it let happen. Me know. I'd love to jump on yours as well. We could further For some sure. discussions. Um, I've had a great time. Um, me too. I'm going to go ahead and look some of this stuff up too, because I'm really interested and, and hopefully in the future we could kind of touch on some more things. 100% be happy to have a great day, man. You too. Thanks buddy. Yep. Bye.